Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Posnanski, and with me, Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me. You know, this is a unique podcast. Uh, this is that the, they're all unique in their own ridiculous ways, but. We are trying something here that has no chance of working. I am recording from Rio, where I'm here at the Olympic Games. You are in Los Angeles, I assume. That's right. I'm in my office in my house in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. So what are the odds that we're actually pulling this off? I just actually checked the Sands <laughs> Casino in Vegas has this at a 250 to 1 shot. 250 to 1. I'm thinking that's legit. Yeah. We're not... We're not quite on the level of like the Premier League uh, thing, but but it's it's not happening. It's not yeah, happening. and the, and the way the the way the bet is laid out at the Sands Casino in Las Vegas is <laughs> it's literally just is anything recorded? <laughs> it, that's a, anything that's the at standard. All. Yeah, anything, anything at all. That's so literally one second of anything is anything actually <laughs> captured on a recording device. And listenable by an audience. That's the way the bet is set up. So if you're listening to this right here, we've already won the bet. The bet is the bet is already won. And and oh, I I bet against us. I laid out like <laughs> five hundred bucks against this working. So so you bet five hundred bucks to win two dollars. Is that what you're telling That's right. me? <laughs> probably a good bet. That's probably a really good bet. All right. So before before we break up, which could happen at any moment, uh, I have to say, and you didn't get to be a part of this last time. I'm very excited that you get to be a part of this. Uh, we have a sponsor here for the podcast. Uh, our sponsor is Mac Weldon uh, and MacWeldon.com. Uh, they make men's basics. So now you know all about Mac Weldon, right? We talked. About I know this all time. about Mac Weldon. Yes, yes. I'm uh, very well versed. <laughs> You're sort of a Mac Weldon expert, as it were. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they make uh, shirts and 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 shorts and underwear. Seems to be you know that's the men's basics. That is that is a great way of saying underwear, right? I mean, that's sort yeah. of yeah. It's sort of the 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 uh, what is it? So you don't say t- toilet paper. You say what is toilet it? tissue? Tissue, yeah, paper tissue or bathroom yeah. tissue. Bathroom tissue. Bathroom so, tissue. Basics is even better than bathroom tissue. Anyway, very good stuff. I actually I got some stuff from from uh, Mac Weldon, um, which was which was really cool, and so I'm wearing it now. You didn't need to know, but uh, super comfortable. Uh, and by the way, if you are a podcast listener, which you obviously are, uh, you can go to Mac Weldon and type in podcast into the promo code. I, I love that this is true, and uh, you get twenty percent off. So you literally, like, they have a promo code box, and you type in podcast of all things, uh, you get twenty percent off at Mac Weldon. Great deal, right? Very cool. Is that and that, just to be clear, that's P O S C A S T, right? Is. It's podcast. Yeah, okay. And that's a good point because we actually there was a bit of a controversy about how to pronounce how to spell this uh, at the beginning. Obviously, podcast built on on my last name. You were insistent on the P O S. I've always sort of when when people call me pause or whatever they always go with a Z. So uh, yeah, podcast with an S. Very very good point yeah. to bring up. Just just want to make sure people get that discount. Twenty percent off. Very good. MacWeldon.com. All right, that's it. Um, we have to do our New York minute, and here's the thing that's exciting. And and let's let's take a second uh, for our uh, our delightful producer Tess to to play the music. So the, the here I, I'm in Brazil. 
So, and I've been here for about a week, um, out of pocket, completely unaware of what's going on in baseball. Uh, just, just in my, doing my fencing and, 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 uh, and beach volleyball things. So I'm completely out of the loop. I assume the Yankees are 45 games under 500 now. Is that true? (laughs) (laughs) So just to refresh everyone's memory, they unloaded Araldis Chapman, Andrew Miller, Carlos Beltran, the only person on their team who can hit, and Ivan Nova, right, at the trade deadline. They're four four starters, basically. They're four four best players. Let's just call them their four best players. Nova isn't their best pitcher. No, but he Nova's was a not. starting. He was a starting pitcher. They traded two all-star closers, uh, and they traded literally the only guy on their team who was an above-average hitter at the time. They traded all of those people. Right. They it does it hasn't mattered. They're playing exactly at the same level. They're a game over five hundred. They refuse to go away. They last night destroyed the Indians. They beat Josh Tomlin, who's a very good pitcher. They just annihilated him. They scored like twelve runs. Uh, a few nights ago on Wednesday, they were playing the Mets, and because they had no one to play on their team, uh, they started Chad Green, who's a like a sort of mid like long man. Sure. Here, here's here's his line. Okay, he threw three and two thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, including a home run. He walked four guys. <laughs> this so three and two thirds. That's twelve base runners, twelve base, and including a home run. Yeah. The Yankees won the game easily. <laughs> like I don't understand how they do it. I've said this before. It's like a magic trick. They won the game nine to five. It was never really close. They were up six to three after two innings, and then they just kind of coasted. Chad Green gave up th- eight hits and four walks in three and two thirds, and only gave up three earned runs. I don't. It's like it's it's like there's a spell. They cast a spell on other teams. Uh, so it, as of right now, they're a game over 500. They're playing exactly at the same level as they were before they traded three of the four best players on their team, and I assume that that is going to continue for the rest of the year. You, you have you've already you've already determined, by the way, that they are they're not going anywhere. This is it. This is they're just going to keep doing this until they get good players, at which point they'll just humiliate everybody again and 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 make our lives miserable. Yeah, they're never going to collapse. Is the point? Now they last night. Just to be clear, they beat the Indians 13-7. to Josh Tomlin started for the Indians, who's a very good pitcher. Pineda started for the Yankees, who is not a very good pitcher. Uh, the, here's the Yankees lineup and their OPS as okay. of last night. Okay. All right. Gardner in left, OPS 717. Okay. Ellsbury in center, 714. Teixeira at first, 638. McCann DHing, 756. Headley at third, 709. Castro at short, 696. Gary Sanchez was their catcher, of course, <laughs> 669. There is no Gary Sanchez. R- Rob Refsnyder started at second, 653. And Aaron Hicks started in right, 556. They had no players in their lineup with an OPS above 756. <laughs> and they scored 13 runs off one of the best pitching staffs in baseball and won the game. Explain this. And someone explain this to me. No, it's not. It, look, it, it, the way I always used to look at these things is if you were playing Stratomatic with that team or, or some tabletop game uh, of, of, you know, uh, equal, equal merit, and you had that lineup, 
you'd never score a run ever. It's not it's not possible mathematically for that team to score 13 runs. It is not possible. So right. so clearly there's witchcraft. I mean that that's really the only way you can even think about it because there's here here was here's the thing. When they had Carlos Beltran, who was having a ridiculously great year, super happy for him, makes no sense at all that he's having this year. But having a really good year, um, when they had him, it was impossible for them to score runs because he was the only right. guy in the entire lineup. Now that he's gone, seriously, they should get shut out every single night. Right. Why? They should not score 13 runs off of the Indians. And by the way, I just checked, and eight of the nine starters for the Indians had higher OPSs than anyone <laughs> in the Yankees lineup. So if you made a list of the nine top OPSs in the game last night out of the 18 players who started, the first eight are Indians, <laughs> and they got destroyed by the Yankees who were starting a right fielder with a 556 OPS. Who had, by the way, I, a, I, a big just, hit in I, that game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't take it. I can't take it. I need them to lose 15 in a row. It's 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 got to happen. At some point it really does have to happen where that team collapses. Look, they're they're asking to collapse at this point. Right? right? I mean, they're trying to. Yeah. They would prefer to collapse and then have like the number 3 draft choice next year or whatever. Like they I'm sure they would prefer that at this point. They know they're not going to go anywhere this year. And they would prefer to like, you know, they now have one of the best. That's the other thing. They flipped those three main guys for 12 great <laughs> prospects. So now like we just all we're doing is waiting until 2018 when they sign Bryce Harper and Jose Fernandez and Manny Machado. And then also have like, you know, 11 of the top 20 <laughs> prospects in baseball. And this whole cycle starts all over again. And so I'm sure they would rather collapse because they're just biding their time until 2018. You would just like, we know the inevitable Yankee rise is coming. That's like inevitable. Um, you'd like them to have a terrible season before then. Just one. Yeah. Just one. Yeah. But they never, ever will. And not only that, like Yankee fans are just, they they already you know they they've, they've now become convinced that any player they trade should bring like nine of the best prospects in baseball. They're, they and other teams have like have said that's fine. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I am you know with this is not our faux argument this week, uh, although it could have been. I didn't I didn't like what the Cubs did at all. I didn't think it was a good move for them. Uh, you know, I know they're they're looking for. Uh, you know, for that that big time closer for the playoffs, they're thinking about playoffs. They're thinking about World Series. They believe Chapman in the ninth inning is going to get them there. I I sort of get it, but I don't like what they did. I one, I don't like a role as Chapman, and and I don't think there's there's much reason to like him. But two, I don't buy it. He's a he's a closer. He's a closer, which means you know, closers save ninety to ninety five percent. Any closer saves ninety to ninety five percent of games. The great closers might save ninety eight percent. He might be a great closer. That doesn't mean that he's gonna that he's gonna you know save every single game in the postseason. I I didn't like that move at all, and they gave up a lot to me to to the Yankees to do that. Yeah, I hated it. I yeah. hated the move both because I don't particularly like the guy, but also because I kind of think it's like an anti Theo Epstein move, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like 
he's a yeah he's he's an effective closer like many closers he's very effective but i feel like they were like let's get the guy who throws 105 right. instead of let's get the guy who matches up the best or is the best like move for the team it felt like a i don't care what happens in the future we need to win the world series at any cost now kind of a deal and i frankly like after uh, you know having watched them pitch for many years andrew miller's better yeah <laughs> I think. oh yeah I think he's I think he's a better left-handed closer type guy that he has a crazy wipeout slider. Chapman just kind of tries to blow everybody away. Chapman's more erratic. You know, Miller had a control issues his whole life but now is is like, you know, a, an incredible control pitcher. Uh I don't know. I would have preferred them to get Miller frankly and maybe give up less because Chapman is the bigger flashier guy and I also just hate that the the Yankees did this thing where, like, you know, he had domestic abuse issues right. following him around. They didn't care. They signed him. He sat out a month. He played with them for three months, and they flipped him for four really good prospects. That feels like that's a like a bad – I feel like that's a bad message to send to other teams in baseball, you know, that you can just pick up anybody, doesn't matter who, and just keep them around for a little while and then flip them for four really good prospects. I just it, The whole thing just kind of stinks to me. I agree. I, and, and look, I mean, I don't want to, you know, we're both, uh, we're both data-driven, you know, fans, and, and I don't want to bring in sort of nonsense, but I, I just think it's a bad karma move. I, I, the Cubs, everything about the Cubs for the last year and a half uh, has been – so joyful, you know. I mean, that team yeah. is so much fun. They've got the fun manager. They've got the 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 fun players. They're all young. Theo is 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 cool. Everything about that team. But plus, they're they're the Cubs, and and they're they're trying to break this curse. And and this is they're doing it in a in a you know really new way. And everything about that team was fun. Everything about that team was positive. Now you've got. You know, you're leaving Joe Madden to say stuff like, "Oh, you know, everybody makes mistakes," which is ridiculous. And 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 you you know, you've got to, everybody's got to accept him. And and when they get asked about the domestic, they're well, we don't, you know, we're giving this guy a second chance, and all of it stinks. I, I just, yeah. I, I really, really, really didn't like that move. It's the first thing Theo has done, probably, you know, in the, maybe since he came to Chicago. That I just went. That just really cuts against everything that you've been doing here, in my view. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a bummer. You just want to you want to have an unfettered path towards rooting for that team. You right. know, right? <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Well. Well. What can you do? So, all right. So the Yankees are gonna they're gonna they're just gonna stay where they are. They're gonna they're gonna win more than they lose and drive us crazy the rest of the year. So we move on from that. Uh, to our faux argument, which, you know, we're here, I'm here in Rio, uh, very exciting, uh, the opening ceremonies last night, and uh, and at the opening ceremonies, Michael Phelps led out the U.S. team, uh, which was very cool, I know there were people that felt like, uh, eh, could have gone with somebody with a better story, maybe, uh, but he's, you know, he's he's widely viewed as the greatest Olympian ever, he leads out the U.S. team, it was a very, very cool moment, obviously everybody in, in Rio was was pretty pumped about it. So I lead to the faux argument question, which is Michael Phelps has the most gold medals. He has the most total medals. He has 18 golds, 22 total medals. He's going to push that number even higher at these games, one way or another. Is Michael Phelps, as the most uh, awarded uh, athlete ever, is he the greatest Olympian? 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like there are two aspects to judging Olympians, right? And 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 it has to do with what the Olympics means uh, in a different way than any other sporting event. And it's one is about the competition, obviously. And if you just purely go by competition, you would probably have to say Michael Phelps is the winner. Like he sure. has the most of everything. It's the most, the most in one Olympics, the most overall, the most golds, the most this, the most that. Like it's hard to find a kind of uh, a just achievement-based um, you know, record that he doesn't own in the Olympics. But then there's this other thing, which is the nature of the Olympics is international competition every four years. And the Olympics, even though they only go back to the late 19th century in a, in like a, in the modern sense, they have this, they have this thing about them, which is like every country is gathering and you study the Olympics and you see this like rise and fall of different empires. And you see the, the kind of political, the world political scene put on display. So I, in my opinion, the person who you say you might say is a greater whatever that means Olympian than Michael Phelps is Jesse Owens, right? Because at the thirty-six Olympics, as everybody knows, he won four gold medals: the hundred, the two hundred, the long jump, the relay. But more importantly, he gave a giant, uh, inarguable middle finger to <laughs> Adolf Hitler and the idea of Aryan supremacy, and kind of drove. Hitler nuts at a time, obviously, when the world was heading towards war. And to do what he did under the kind of intense scrutiny and pressure with not just the weight of a nation on him, but the weight of literally a race, a continent, an entire, like a theory, like the weight of a discriminatory theory was on his shoulders. And I feel like that's the argument you make if you want to choose someone other than Michael Phelps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't – there's no right answer. I mean, I think this thing is is obviously completely subjective. Michael Phelps, you know, the, the people who would who would make the argument for, for somebody else would make the argument that Michael Phelps, while he has won 22 medals and 18 golds, he is in a sport that allow, that has a lot of medals. It has a lot of medals for different events but similar events. I mean – He's, he's won the 100 and the 200 butterflies, won the 200 and the 400 uh, IM. Um, these are different events, and any swimmer will tell you they're, you know, they're, they're completely different, but they're not completely different, right? I mean, they're, they're similar, and, and you know, it's true that not many people sweep the 100 and 200 butterfly, for example. I mean, one is, is a much more grueling event, and one is a much more speed-based event. So it's incredible that he's won both of those, you know, multiple times. But they are similar. Obviously, Jesse Owens, um, you know, when you talk about somebody like that, Usain Bolt, you talk about somebody like that, they don't have as many opportunities to win as many medals. I mean, there's not, right. for for Bolt, you know, who I think you could make a very, very strong argument for pure awesomeness, you know, is the greatest Olympian. Uh, there's the 100 and the 200. That's it. There's no 150. There's no, you know, backward running 100. There's no, you know, there's nothing else that pushes that. So that does not in any way detract from what Michael Phelps is. It just puts it in a little bit in context. And that's why I actually do think Jesse Owens is the greatest because, you know, first of all, he's in a different time, a time where he didn't really couldn't afford 
to go to multiple Olympics. And of course, there were no more Olympics after 36 uh, right. for, for the next two uh, cycles. But also, you're, you know, there's a fascinating question. And every time I come to the Olympics, it's the question, where do the when does sports stop and politics begin? Where, you know, Brazil has obviously had many, many problems and issues and, and you know, some of them some of them directly related to the Olympics, some of them not, like the political, you know, upheaval and, and, and some of the social issues. So the question always is, where does one end and where does one begin? And, and it's, you know, people have different feeling on it. Jesse Owens didn't change history with his, with his performance in 36, but he opened so many eyes in America, particularly, both for what he, he stood for, uh, under the under the eye and 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 arm of of Adolf Hitler, but also as a black man in 1936. I mean that was that was just not a time when America would rally around uh, you know a, a, a black athlete. I mean Joe Lewis and and Jesse Owens were kind of it. So so I think that when you take all of that into consideration, and you know and and around the world it's it's different too. I think we're talking. Here in America, I think the greatest Olympian uh, should be Jesse Owens, and then the you know most dominant and and overwhelming Olympian is Michael Phelps. I think that makes sense. I mean, there are very interesting footnotes about Owens's performance. One of the ones that I think is the most sort of disturbing is that I believe uh, he was allowed to stay in the same hotels as white athletes when he was in Germany, which was not allowed when he was in America. And when you think about that simple fact that he had to travel to Nazi-run Germany to be treated decently by a hotel, that, that's like you, you really put into context what kind of world he was living in and the circumstances under which he was just trying to like race in the Olympics like everybody else. Uh, so uh, it, it feels like if you add in, this is like, this is a version of the very, like, you know, unanswerable and ultimately kind of boring debate that baseball writers have every year about the MVP and what valuable means, right? If you're arguing about what greatest means, the question is, do you like your Olympians purely on the field, on the court, uh, on the, in the pool, or do you like your Olympians in the historical context? And I feel like, if there's historical context, it's kind of Owens in a walk um, between these two just because of what was going on. And and also, you would say, um, if you go with your uh, point that, you know, swimming has a bunch of different events that are certainly different, but they all start with you standing on that block and jumping into the pool right. when, the, when the gun goes off, then you would say, okay, you know, yeah, he won the most medals, but that is the olympics equivalent of hitting in Coors field in you know 1998 and hitting the most home runs so you know it's an unanswerable question i think that it's a it's worth talking about because the fun of the olympics to me is the history uh and the and where everybody fits in history and with that in mind i would actually like to make one more uh i would like to enter one more name sure in the in the pause for the greatest Olympian of all time, and that's George Iser, who in 1904 won six gold, uh, six medals. Uh, he was a gymnast. He won six medals, and his left leg was made of wood. 
Do you know this story? I, I am aware of the story, but I like the way you said that. Go ahead, continue. Yeah. Well, basically, 1904 uh, was the weirdest Olympics ever. It was in St. Louis. It was, uh, I encourage everyone to read about the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis. George Iser won six medals, even though one of his legs was wooden. Uh, there was also a guy named Frank Kugler who won four medals. He won medals in freestyle wrestling, weightlifting, and, by the way, tug of war. That, we love tug of war. That's right. Our draft of last week was Olympic sports, things that should be Olympic sports. You said tug of war. So there was tug of war back then. He's the only person ever won a medal in three different sports at the same Olympics. So that's basically the opposite of Michael Phelps, right? Um, but there's also other wonderful things about the Olympics. Uh, the guy who won the marathon, uh, which was like, you know, basically just run on a dirt road, was uh, his name was Frederick Lortz. But he had run like nine miles and then dropped out and then went back in a car to get his clothes. And then the car broke down at the 19th mile. So then he just popped back into the race, jogged to the finish line, and then everybody thought he had won and he just played along. And then, <laughs> and then they eventually were like, oh, wait, you just were in a car. You can't. That's ridiculous. And there was also a, the guy, the, the first person to legally cross the finish line had collapsed and had been given strychnine uh, to wake him up, and he crossed the finish line and then almost died because they had given him, like, horse poison. <laughs> and also, a Cuban postman, I'm reading from Wikipedia now, a Cuban postman named Felix Carbajal joined the marathon, arriving at the last minute, run it, he ran in street clothes <laughs> that he cut around his legs to make them look like shorts. He stopped off in an orchard, to have some apples for a snack. They turned out to be rotten. He had to lie down and take a nap and got sick. Then he got up and finished the marathon in fourth place. <laughs> so a different time. I think that's very similar. I fully expect uh, all of those things to happen again here in Rio. I, I want to I take a moment here to to talk about the, the gymnast who won uh, with, with a wooden leg. You know, we like, as baseball fans particularly, we love to compare players of today's era with, you know, athletes, players of, of, of earlier times. And you will still have many, many people who will tell you that the greatest pitcher of all time was Walter Johnson. And sure. Walter Johnson has incredible numbers and all of that. You know, you could argue... That if a guy wins the gymnastics competition with a wooden leg, no offense, sure he was great, you could argue pretty strongly that maybe the competition level wasn't as high in those days. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I am in no way trying to, to uh, you know, look, some of the Paralympians can do incredible things and absolutely can compete on the same level with, with the great Olympians. I'm just saying if you're winning in 1904 in gymnastics, you know, I mean, what was gymnastics in 1904? I mean, was it like if you could do a backflip, you win? I mean, I don't know what it was, but I'm just saying that competition level may have increased and improved. You look at Simone Biles and what she's doing now, and she can basically, you know, turn herself into like a pretzel and, and on a balance beam and do 93 flips and all that. And, and a guy in 1904 won with a wooden leg. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, and also one of the gold medals he won was in the event, the 25-foot rope climb. So, <laughs> yeah, different time. 
I would love for them to bring the 25-foot rope climb back. To, that kind of sounds fun, doesn't it? That yeah. does sound fun. Just watch people just climb that rope. So, all right. So, who is your favorite? Like, like as a as a kid growing up, as somebody watching the Olympics, uh, who is your fa- who was your favorite Olympian? Who do, who did you just find to be like incredibly cool? My favorite was always Carl Lewis. Yeah, like that. The eighty four games, which I was I was uh, eight years old or eight or nine. Uh, was the first Olympics that I really kind of, you know, was old enough to, I remember, I vaguely remember my parents watching uh, the the Miracle on Ice sure. when I was like five. I vaguely remember um, some of the, I the and then in 80, obviously, there was the Moscow boycott, so I didn't get to see the Summer Olympics. Then in 84, they boycotted us in L.A., but the 84 Olympics was the first time I ever remember really like paying attention and watching Carl Lewis was like to me that was the high that was like the best Olympics ever, um, and the, and my favorite athlete ever, and he's sort of remained my favorite Olympian. Michael Phelps is up there, and I, and I love the Dream Team in '92 and all that sort of stuff. But I still feel like the first athlete to make an impression on me at the Olympics was Carl Lewis, and I feel like no one will ever really beat him. Were you not convinced, by the way? So in '84, you were nine. I was uh, a little bit older. And, and I was utterly convinced as a relatively kid, um, we would all have those little flying suits by now, right? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Remember that guy, that guy just scooting around. Oh, that thing was so awesome. And I'm like, that's, and that's still what they show, by the way, you know, they had the opening ceremonies, uh, here in Rio yesterday and they were, I thought they were really cool. Uh, they were they were sort of a stripped down version. They, they, the conservation was the theme, and and so they didn't go crazy like they did in 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 London or in Beijing. Uh, but it was still really cool and a party and and lots of really really interesting things. But they were talking about it. And they were like, well, it's 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 nice, but it's not it's not Beijing where the guy flew, you know, on on top of the roof. And it's not London where you had all of the, you know, the big, big celebrities and McCartney singing and all that. It's not that big. And it's like these are, you know, the, this is sort of a step back as far as these games. 1984, that was it, was that flying guy. That's like the only thing that happened in the opening ceremonies. And then it was like a marching band and like it was like the Orange Bowl other than that guy. Like that's the opening ceremonies are a lot different now. In 84, there was pretty low expectations of what they were going to do yeah and like everything else it just it's sort of like yeah you know even though rio i think was cool and was like a little stripped down there is this sense like beijing really was like beat this guys like that was was the that was the sense of beijing and i don't know that anyone ever will frankly but i also remember being really excited in in 84 because at the closing ceremonies lionel richie performed (laughs) And I was like, "Well, this is as good as it gets. You can't be, you can't be Lionel Richie." When you have Lionel Richie performing, the closing ceremonies are awesome too because there's like a, there's like a, eh, whatever, you know, we're we're kind of out of money and whatever. Just just everybody go out and we'll we'll come up with a couple of celebrities and and that'll be the end of it. Um, Beijing, you mentioned that by Beijing, I, I think you're 100 percent right. First of all, you can't, you know, you can't basically force. 100,000 people to like work for free. I mean that's like one one issue about the Beijing thing that'll never get uh, get replaced. But the the other thing about Beijing was you remember 
like the sort of the theme before the flying guy at the end, which was incredible. The the theme was that was that little girl who was like in the air. She was just flying right. around. Yeah, yes. yeah, right, right, right. And that was like unbelievable. It was it was you're watching, and obviously it was you know you could if you if you squinted maybe you could see a, a rope here or there, string here or there, whatever. She's just flying around the stadium, and like it, it was mind blowing. And then they were like, that's nothing compared to the flying guy we're putting on top of this thing. I mean, they they just yeah. went, we're, we're, we're ending the competition here. Nobody's ever going to have an opening ceremony like this. Yeah, that was really cool. Unbelievable. All right, well, we did it again. We solved uh, the world's problems. So, And yep. I, be- I believe this is recorded, by the way. Amazing. It's- I love that the Sands Casino in Las Vegas just lost a ton of money. Who, who bet on us? Nobody. Nobody bet on us. <laughs> uh, but by the way, it hasn't recorded yet. I just said I think it's recording. So assuming this gets out to you, Michael, thank you very much. As always, thank you for having me.